on this episode of the Alt Normal. Normal. Not everyone has to go and have a TED talk about tampons and pads like myself. Not everyone has to have these conversations like me. Not everyone, but some people do <laughs> so that everyone starts talking about it a little bit more and so that people in different walks of life take up the conversation and take up research and take up policy changes and we start implementing these things and we start seeing changes. Another coronavirus vaccine has shown to be highly effective. Welcome to the Alt Normal, an exploration of the diverse voices on planet Earth. Joe Biden will become president of the United States. Doing the critical work of rebuilding a healthier, more sustainable alternative future. At the intersection of self, community, and the planet. We live in uncertain times. Powerful moments of revolution. How we choose to steer the path will determine what kind of alt-normal we consciously remake together. Everyone has a part to play. Let's rise. Shift and support this exciting new reality in the making. The alt-normal. Hi, I'm Tiffany Wen, the host of The Alt-Normal. This is a show that centers embodied integration as the absolutely critical force for rebuilding this post-pandemic world that's ever more sustainable, diverse, and inclusive. Culture needs a rebrand that goes deep at the core of who we are in the integration of our rich diversity, complexity, and emerging alternative paradigms. Let's be real. We are in a crisis of consciousness realizing that the only way to change things out there is to first change things in here. The power structures and institutions can only take us so far. To see a world that's diverse and inclusive for all actually requires us to change from the inside out, shifting into actionable models of power with one another versus power over one another. Now more than ever, we need a new story for humanity that leans into the diversity of who we are and our emerging zones of genius to live more truthfully in how we relate to ourselves, our community, and the planet. So let's pick up those forgotten pieces of ourselves to rebrand our story of humanity from one of separation to one of integration. We're talking integration of the mind with the body, the scientific with the spiritual, strategy with emergence, and the individual with the collective. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow, a methodology that powers our core capabilities in branding and content creation. Our mission is to design resonance between brands and their most valuable audience to drive the greatest possible impact. After 20 plus years of working in New York City and Milan for Fortune 500 companies in marketing and advertising, we decided to take the big leap and make a fundamental shift in how we work and bring brand stories to life. The Alt Normal is recorded at Destination Outpost, a co-living and co-working community based out in Bali. They have amazing spaces located in Ubud and Chenggu that enable people to live and work from paradise. 
encouraging people to live differently so they can work from beautiful destinations and build strong connections with others on a similar path through life. And with that, I would love to introduce our guest today, Mariah Mansfeld Beck, who obtained her master's in international development at the University of Cambridge. She spent seven years working for an organization called Medicine Sans Frontiers. <laughs> Hopefully I... Doctors Without Borders. <laughs> Doctors Without Borders. There we go. I do know that. A couple of years as a social worker and as also a yoga teacher. So in 2014, Mariah and friend Wendelian Hebley founded Yoni. So with Yoni, they aim to pass on what they now know about their most intimate products, while at the same time, make sure Yoni's organic tampons, pads, and panty liners get on mainstream shelves. And I love this little quote. Um, Perhaps it's your or Yoni's mission. Quote, we believe every woman should know what she's putting between her legs. So let's break the taboo, ditch the shame and start talking about periods properly. Woo! This is so exciting, Mariah. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I would like to start kind of at the beginning of all of this. So you gave this really deeply personal TED Talk in 2017, I believe, where you came out with this personal journey of how you got to Yoni and this bigger mission of the of this brand of this business of this organization to protect vaginas globally and revolutionize the feminine care industry amongst many other things I'm sure so I would love to hear from you how did Yoni start and I mean, as any founder, there was probably a problem, a core problem or a series of problems that didn't have solutions at the time that you decided to start all this. So I would just love for you to take us through that journey. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I didn't grow up being a little girl and thinking like, ooh, I want to start a tampon company. It's just not a little girl dream. Uh <laughs> And I actually really never thought I'd be in business. Uh, So when I was growing up, um, I chose doing my master's in international development for a reason. And one of those reasons was because I felt that business was mostly about profit making only. And that felt very shallow to me. And I wanted to, I've always had this very intrinsic feeling I want to do something positive in this world. And I don't really know where that comes from, but I always tell the story because later it came to mind and I was like, this, maybe this is it. I have a book that I now read to my daughter and I received it from my mom and it's a book that she read to me and it's called Miss Rumphius. It's a very cute child's book for anyone listening, get that book, Miss Rumphius. And it's about Miss Rumphius, who starts as a little girl, Alice, and she looks up to her grandfather and she says, you know, can I too, you know, travel the world and then live in a house near the sea, just like you, grandpa. And he looks down at her and she says, and he says, you know, that's all very well, little Alice, but there's one more thing that you need to do. And that, and she says, you know, what is that? And he says, you have to do something to make the world more beautiful. And I believe this book 
did influence me because I do remember also as a young girl wanting to become a librarian, which is not a very likely thing to want. And on one page, Miss Brumfius, uh, Alice, becomes a librarian. But I think the more important seed that it planted within me was this feeling that we're here to do something to make the world more beautiful. And, and what is that? And so my career, if I look at it as a career, that's kind of the red thread. That's why I worked with Doctors Without Borders, who has a mission to you know save lives and alleviate suffering. Um, this is why I became a social worker and worked with people um, really struggling on kind of on the outskirts of society, just hanging in there. It's why I become a yoga, became a yoga teacher. I'm still a yoga teacher. And it's also why I started Yoni. And so it did, things did need to happen for me to want to go into business um, because that was just not something I wanted to do. But when I became 30, so I turned 30 and in the Netherlands, you get a checkup as a woman um, on your 30th. I think in other countries, it's often a little bit earlier. And I did my checkup and I found out that I was in kind of developmental phases of cervical cancer. And so that was a real wake up call. And for about half a year, I was in and out of hospitals and um, eventually had to have an operation to have part of my cervix removed. And I, I mean, this was a trigger point for me to start to think about everything that I was doing with my body. And I was already, you know, pretty conscious. I was a yoga teacher at the time. I was thinking about these things, but it just took me up like to the next level. And I kept asking people, you know, um, what can I do to support my health? And one of my doctors said, you know, have you ever heard of organic cotton tampons and pads? Maybe that's something you should use. And I had never really questioned, I'd never questioned my use of tampons and pads. That was just something kind of like a given. Um, my mom passed down kind of what she used and I just continued using that as I believe many uh, women and younger girls do with their mothers. And so I was motivated at the time and didn't really need to ask too many questions and went out to try to find my organic cotton tampons and pads, but couldn't find them at my normal supermarket or drugstores. So I had to go to like my special store for my special tampons. And any woman can understand that that's an unhandy situation to be in. So that meant if I was traveling, if I was at the airport, if I was at my parents' house, don't live in Amsterdam as I do, um, in a smaller town, I couldn't get my special tampons. And, you know, one day, two years later, I uh, was reading the four hour work week from Tim Ferriss. Um, so kind of in a mindset of uh, entrepreneurship, I guess, in a way, um, although I did not put the four hour work week into uh, place in any way. But uh, I was kind of thinking along those lines, and I had to um, buy products and it was a Sunday. And so I had to bike here in Amsterdam. I'm going to do everything on the bike. I had to bike like an extra round to get to this special shop that was open. And I remember being with, um, my boyfriend at the time. And I said, Hmm, why can't I just buy these at my normal supermarket? And maybe I should make this happen. And I was going to have tea with a friend of mine, Wendelin later that afternoon. And I shared with her kind of this story. And she said, you know, what's so special about your tampons and pads aren't mine made out of, or, you know, cotton as well. And so we got the boxes of her products. And that's when we both really realized that on the packaging of tampons and pads here in Europe, generally, there's nothing mentioned in terms of the composition of the product. 
Whereas if you look at your facial cream or your hand soap or your toothpaste, you will find a list of ingredients on the packaging. You might not be able to understand it, but you could look into it if you wanted. But for your most intimate products, there's nothing there. And without doing a lot of further research that happened, but not that afternoon, we basically came to the conclusion that one, We want to share this story. Every woman should be able to know that there are choices to be made when it comes to her her most intimate products. And two, if we were going to share the story, we were going to make sure that the organic cotton option would get onto mainstream supermarket and drugstore shelves next to the synthetic uh, products. And um, that's basically what Yoni does today. It took a little while to get to that point. but (laughs) But that Sunday, we basically made the decision and are still doing what we uh, set out to do. It's so deeply personal. And I mean, it just seems like a no-brainer that whatever you buy and you put in one of the most absorbent parts of your body should absolutely be one of the healthiest, most conscious decisions that you make. And, you know, I found this startling statistic that I was going to bring up later, but I think it's worth shouting out now. This was in a Vogue article, and it started off by saying that the average woman will use about 13,000 tampons in her lifetime, which means that these products and the potentially harmful ingredients they contain, if they're not like Yoni, are sitting inside her body for around six years. That is just mad when you think about what's actually in that product. Yeah, I, I mean, I always say, I always say, because some people are like, oh, organic tampons, do we have to go organic everything, organic this? And I'm like, mm, if you, you know, like if you want to go organic with anything, like this might be somewhere where you'd want to start. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, a great gateway practice, right? It, the more you become conscious, the more layers that you um, gradually peel off. So I, I completely resonate with that. And um, you know, Yoni, I spent some time on the website and first off, you guys do a beautiful job of like visually communicating the story. And I noticed too that there's an emphasis on good for you. Yoni is good for you. It's good for community and it's good for planet, which sounds very much like a B Corps organization. I don't know if you guys are. We are B Corps. Ah, perfect. I love it. I love B Corps. <laughs> It's actually B Corps month, like where they're celebrating B Corps all over the world. So can you tell us a little bit about, yeah, what does it mean um, for Yoni to be, well, obviously good for you, um, but good for community and planet and just sort of tell us that story a little bit? Yeah, no, I think, well, I can, there are multiple levels on this. And so, I mean, just from a very like product centered level, which is one way of looking at this question you can think our choice for organic cotton is so important cotton is one of the most sprayed upon crops in the world so you have i think two and a half percent of all the world's crops is cotton and 25 percent of all of the pesticides used on crops go to that two and a half percent of cotton and so it's really important to make use of organic cotton and you see more communication, maybe not a lot, but a more communication around this topic in kind of like textile uh, industry. So for the clothing and stuff, Patagonia is an organization, a great B Corp that I look up to um, uh, that has some really good communication about this. So the 
choice for organic cotton is really important for the planet as well as for anyone that works with the crops themselves or lives near the crops themselves. So you can, and I mean, and then there's the aspect of, you know, the product afterlife. These are products that you use and then um, throw out. Um, and we also have more sustainable products that you can reuse, like the cup, and we're hopefully coming out with some other new options soon. But in first instance, we really wanted to challenge the industry. So we wanted to introduce a product that was like a more conscious step for yourself or the community at large for the planet, um, but would still have like that same user friendliness that anyone would be used to. Because at the time, like six years ago, seven years ago, at least here in the Netherlands, and I know actually in many more countries around us, this was something that was not being spoken about. And it's really changed in the past many years. There's been a lot more conversation, I think a lot more awareness um, around femcare products, as well as just menstruation in general. We might not be the best because it's still a product you're throwing away, but it's a step better. And we want to challenge the industry to take those steps as well. You know, We want to see a change within this femcare industry. We want to revolutionize the industry. We want everyone to be able to know what goes into their products. And we want producers to start making better choices. And that's why we chose a product that was as close as possible as like the more synthetic options that we see around us all the time. And they're really only four main companies who dominate worldwide the femcare industry. It's just four huge companies like a Johnson and Johnson or Procter and Gamble. Um, so that was our intention. And then you have a business. And so when you have a business, you have 10,000 choices that you can make every day. <laughs> if it comes to, you know, like, I don't know, the coffee that you're serving uh, at the office, um, uh, the cleaning products you're using in your office, um, the relationships that you're building, what type of relationships there are, whom you choose to have a relationship with, um, how uh, you work with your colleagues, uh, what is kind of your HR policies, those kind of things. There are 1,001 choices. And that's why I love B Corp, um, because to become a B Corp, you have to go through this process where they really ask questions about every aspect of your business and challenge you as someone setting up a business to really think out all of those things. And you can have a great, fantastic product with an intention that is going to change the world. And you can still be crap to your employees, or you can still um, maintain business practices with uh, producers um, that are very unhealthy. And so I believe that it's really important to, if you have the intention to do something positive to the world, to really take that throughout your business. And especially also with you know, marketing and communications, like how are you going to communicate these things? Whom uh, do you feel is your audience? How um, diverse and inclusive are you going to be? And those are things that are close to my heart. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it kind of segues nicely into this idea of intersectionality. And this is why I was so excited to talk to you, because I feel like Yoni is a business, but Yoni is also an activist and Yoni is an educator and Yoni seems to be operationalizing its mission throughout all slices and levels of the business, not just in the marketing, but like story doing within, not just storytelling. And, um, you know, I, I just want to 
read this little little nugget of a, not a statistic, but just like a fact that I read in a, a public health article produced by Berkeley. And they wrote that um, a study conducted by the International Women's Health Coalition found that there are about 5,000 slang words used to refer to menstruation in 10 different languages. Though using euphemisms may seem innocuous, it is indicative of a larger trend in attitudes regarding menstrual health around the globe. And, you know, it's it's just even like being able to say the words vagina or period or menstruation in the mainstream feels like it should be normal. But, you know, I think we're still very much in progress with that. And, you know, it it, it brings to mind this book I think you wrote called From Vulva to Vagina. And unfortunately, it's just in Dutch, so I couldn't (laughs) sample it yet. (laughs) But I would love for you to tell us, um, yeah, what motivated you to write this book and what you most want women and perhaps even men, boys, girls, young, old to walk away with to really understand what this beautiful powerful organ is here for. (laughs) The realization started to come through that at first we're like outraged, like how can it be that my hand soap has more information on it than my tampons? Like, I mean, that's just so weird. And later we found out that on EU level, tampons and pads fall under general product regulation, which basically means there are no specific regulations on what should or should not be in the product, nor what should or should not be mentioned on the packaging itself about the composition of the products. And so there's more regulation for hand soap uh, than there are for tampons and pads, which is really strange and should change. From that realization, you just start to wonder, like, how can this be? And I think one of the reasons how that can be is that we don't speak about menstruation. So the taboo around menstruation has made it such that this could be the case because it's not being spoken about. And perhaps because the people that are making the policies or regulations are maybe more men, that is plausible thought, I think. And so it's just not being taken into account and to make any changes, whether it's going to be on a kind of more regulatory or policy uh, level or uh, within education or education system, we're going to need to start talking about it. So not everyone has to go and have a TED talk about tampons and pads like myself. Not everyone has to have these conversations like me, not everyone, but some people do (laughs) so that everyone starts talking about it a little bit more. And so that People in different walks of life take up the conversation and um, and and take up research and take up uh, policy changes and we start implementing these things and we start seeing changes and we and I and I see the changes happening around me um, um, and so with the book uh, from vulva to vagina the idea behind that was I I like my. Instagram feed is obviously completely tailor-made to me Googling everything about like uh, this topic for the past seven years, if not longer, um, and talking and speaking about this topic every day. So my feed is beautiful and is empowering. And there's a lot of great, often female artists making amazing artwork um, um, around the vulva, around kind of yeah, a different visual as well as written way of speaking around the topic of menstruation. 
And Instagram is great, but having a small daughter um, who is growing up, I also would like to have like a book <laughs> rather than be like, look at my feed. <laughs> so something more permanent, something more uh, maybe precious in that sense that you can touch and look through. Um, and so we wanted to write a book and I wanted it, I had a very clear idea about what it should look like and what it should kind of be about. And then I was approached, funnily enough, because this is the way the things are. I had this idea, but multiple people have this idea. I was approached by a publisher who had really the same idea. And then together with, I think, five other women, so it wasn't only me writing this book, but five other women, women, we wrote a book that takes on all different kinds of topics relating to uh, the vulva and vaginal health and, and, and all these different aspects of things that are just never spoken about. So um, it goes from kind of menopause and um, incontinence to the HPV virus um, and vaccination um, um, to the pill. Um, um, yeah, very, lots of different topics are spoken about giving birth. And it's all women who most of the women were more like journalists, feminist journalists, um, um, writing, writing these bits. And what I was missing in the books that I was seeing was often the book's there were like no footnotes. It wasn't evidence-based. Um, and for me, I'm always looking for evidence-based kind of facts um, to build my own stories on and to share information that I know is true. And so we really wrote, I think every chapter is kind of like something, it's food for thought and it gives you references. It references things that if you want to go deeper into a topic, you know where to go. Um, it gives you ideas of places to look on, uh, further, which I found really important at the time because it was something I was really missing in all of the literature, uh, that was coming out. Yeah. So that was the idea to share knowledge. I believe sharing knowledge is, um, key in, in bringing about changes. Yeah. Knowledge is power. And even right, like tackling the lack of transparency and the lack of labeling, it's, it's like helping the modern day consumer become more conscious and facilitating that conscious consumerism movement that I think we are in motion with, yet still making progress with. And, you know, going back to this intersectionality um, around like good for you, good for community, good for planet, um, you know, I've seen you and, and the team at Yoni really vocal um, about a lot of social justice issues, like, for example, the period poverty situation and fighting the period tax. And I'll be very honest, before really like digging into these topics, I had never heard about them. And I and through reading and just that domino effect and that sort of rabbit hole of like, what? These are real issues. And unless you're searching for them, the mainstream media isn't covering these topics. So I guess can you maybe share some, um, I guess, like social justice issues within the period menstruation awareness movement that you're particularly passionate about and that you've written about, spoken about, and can just give our listeners, um, yeah, some basics? Yeah, I mean, I think I think period poverty is an interesting one. If you don't talk about periods, if you don't talk about menstruation, it's so easy to overlook that not everyone, it's not a given that everyone has access to the right um, um, femcare products. 
um, and that that can be an extreme problem. Um, and so I am very grateful to all the activists and here in the Netherlands, there's a feminist organization, the Bova Gronse, who recently um, did um, some really well, well thought out research around period poverty and that um, we contributed to in terms of um, providing products and making sure that people here in Amsterdam would at least Hopefully everyone in Amsterdam had period products the past year. Um, if that's totally the case, I don't know, because in that sense, I think, you know, you have period poverty and then you can make changes to make sure that people have access. And so what you see going on at the moment is that, for example, in Scotland was one of the first countries to pass um, regulations to provide free access to period products, which means that in certain places, like in schools, there is a there is a necessity now to have period products on access that that children can um, use so that no one is in uh, the situation where they don't have a pad or a tampon and therefore need to stay at home um, and miss uh, school because of that. But I think like the underlying issue that needs to be addressed and that is like intrinsically also addressed when you're when we're starting to implement these types of regulations, et cetera, is the taboo around it. And I think Megan, Megan Markle, she wrote an interesting article so many years ago in Times Magazine where she said, you know, maybe nobody's going to die from the taboo around menstruation necessarily. Um, but if you as a girl are growing up and uh, start menstruating, and it's a given that that is something shameful and that's what that's what's being passed down to you then you're kind of you're held back in life like and it's a very critical timing as a teenager and you're very uh self-conscious and if the messaging you're getting if direct or indirectly is that what's happening in your body the changes happening in your body are something to be ashamed of that's setting you up that's where you're starting life from um and it's i think i believe it's most important that that part of the problem is being addressed and so you can have free products but if it, they're still too taboo to ask for if i still need to go to the nurses and ask for that product but i feel so ashamed i'm not i'm still not going to get that product and that's what we saw with the research done here in the netherlands and amsterdam was that a lot of people they were struggling with this, but it was definitely not a topic that they were going to bring up or the place where they were picking up other products where they could maybe also have asked for uh, uh, femcare products. It was with, a, uh, for example, a male with whom they did not feel comfortable at all to discuss uh, the fact that they needed these products, these specific products. And so I think addressing um, the way that we think about it and we speak about it and we're taught about it. And when we're taught about it, um, I mean, I think girls now are getting their period earlier and earlier and some, uh, in some schools, the educational part isn't coming soon enough. And so in the Netherlands, a couple of years ago, I don't know if the statistics have changed in the meantime, but it was like 19% of the girls, almost 20% of the young girls started menstruating without receiving any information about menstruation, which is, uh, then it becomes maybe even something traumatic. It's blood. It's, uh, you think of bleeding as there's something wrong with you. Um, and so it's important to re receive that messaging, not only for young girls, also for young boys. 
everyone needs to feel comfortable with the conversation and with the topic um, to really see a change. Wow. And you have a daughter. And what? how has just all of this research and digging for the last seven years, like, shaped your own approach to maybe educating your daughter or helping break down that taboo that might come from society or the media or from, you know, other people who don't really have that information. Like, can you give us a little taste of, you know, <laughs> what it's like to be a conscious parent in that regard? Yeah, no, well, it's a work in progress. <laughs> no, no, I mean, my daughter is six. And so at the moment, I probably am one of the most formative people in her life. Um, her parents are the most formative people in her life. And that will change as she grows up already. She's going to school. So then teachers, et cetera, come into the picture um, and, and then it'll be her peers. And I believe with parenting that you have to take a really good look at yourself and what you feel comfortable with and what you don't feel comfortable with and see how that is going to be reflected back in your child. And so, I mean, education around sexuality, around uh, menstruation, around any of these topics starts not totally from day one, but like slowly um, um, children will ask questions or will show interest in various things. And it's important to take a look at and to realize that not to like they're do, they're doing it from they don't have hormones there's no feelings attached um um attached to sexuality as we as adults see it um so it's just more like this is a body part uh, um and to make sure that then what we're offering them at, as information or guidance matches where they're at and not where we are and so I think it's very easy to make uh, mistakes as parents and um, to kind of pass down unconsciously, perhaps, shame or, you know, don't do that um, um, around kind of sexuality, around your body, just it's not even sexuality. It's really just about body and your body and certain body parts. And so that's something that I try to be conscious of and to watch and to follow her interests, basically, like I'm... I think with a six-year-old, you don't have to push information, but when there's an interest, make sure that I have, I want to have a conversation. And I always think that children understand way more than that we often think of. And I speak to my daughter, not like an adult, but I really give explanations to things and she'll take out what she can from, from those things. Yeah, no, it's um, it's a really good point. And, you know, kind of coming back to this period poverty conversation and just like going at the root of it all and seeing this period poverty problem as a reflection of like basic lack of education and just being able to have a, a basic conversation and the basics, right? And I, I saw somewhere, right, that... Um, you know, the, the director for this uh, alliance for period supplies said uh, we need to recognize period supplies as a basic need. And when you walk into a bathroom, for example, you, you expect to find toilet paper, right, soap, and something to dry your hands, basic. So why are things that both sexes need standard while the things that are generally particular to women and girls not provided? 
It's a very practical question. And when you really start to sink into that question, you do wonder, right? Like every bathroom should have a place where you can get clean products for your body as a woman at any stage of your life. And so, right, it just, it starts to open a lot of doors. Um, We think from our own experience, we take from our own experience. And that's why the more people you have in the room that have different experiences, the better outcomes are going to be, I believe. Um, The more creative you're going to be able to be as a And it's not just limited to gender, obviously, but in this specific uh, context. It speaks to like a basic accessibility issue, you know, just being able to show up to school, to work, just being able to function, right? The basic needs, which is very, yeah, it's definitely food for thought. And so, you know, on this show, we like to explore kind of the old story and what's the new story emerging. And, you know, you've been in this, this this world of menstruation, of um, transparent labeling, of of all these different you know threads that Yoni has brought together, and you know it's um, interesting to kind of look at this. I'm calling it the period power movement. I guess it has other names as well, but I've seen it make moves, you know, on the side of business, but also government. I read a blog that you wrote about like some of the breakthroughs in 2019. And um, I think by then New York had become the first state in the entire U.S. to require that every menstrual product um, disclose its ingredients. Um, Yay for New York. (laughs) Through the Menstrual Products Right to Know Act, very practical name. And so, you know, we've been kind of talking about this, but what do you feel like is this new story emerging in this conscious consumerism space in, in, you know, feminine care and feminine hygiene, especially coming out of 2020? Like, what have you seen living and breeding this every day? (laughs) Well, I see there are a lot of kind of Yoni-like brands that have emerged, which I think is great because I think we need a more diverse group of people um, in the femcare space rather than just having four huge, very kind of old-fashioned companies in this space for whom an innovation is to have maybe uh, a different kind of like more flexy wing <laughs> on a pad or uh, whatever, a more silk-like feel uh, to a product. Um, and so what I'm seeing is that a lot of these um, kind of newer, fresher brands, as well as the older brands, because they're catching on, they also see that there is a demand and the demand is something that uh, they'll, they know how to uh, respond to, they need to respond to it for One, a different way of speaking and communicating about menstruation. So I see, not always, but I have seen changes in kind of advertisements where um, it's not just kind of the blue fluid and someone running around in a white legging, um, those kind of advertisements we all know, but a much more creative and empowering way to speak to menstruation through advertisement, which is important because for a long time, advertisement was almost the only moment in time that most people were were seeing anything about menstruation, um, um, hearing anything about menstruation. So there I see a change. I see these newer brands also taking on topics or products that are broader than just tampons, pads, and liners. 
Um, so doing things, you know, with oils or with like CBD oil against cramps or with, uh, looking more at sexuality and maybe coming out with lube or toys or with condoms that are more conscious in their composition um, and more geared towards uh, female health. So I see people expanding into other areas, not just being a tampon or a pad. Yeah, and a continuous push to um, have products that are uh, sustainable, whether that is, you know, changing the plastic wrapping of your product um, into some sort of biodegradable plastic, um, or whether that's more reusable products. I think the cup has really, the cup has been around, so the menstrual cup has been around for years and years and years and years. 50 years ago, you had a menstrual cup as well. But it's not until recently that the menstrual cup has received much more attention. And here in Europe, you can find it on many mainstream shelves now. And I see the same with period proof underwear um, as a product that's really coming on strong. Um, And I think that's really positive. And I'm hoping that in the coming years, we're going to see many changes and diversifications and different types of products that are sustainable and good for women's health. And, you know, for such a long time, there's been so little innovation when it comes to menstrual products. Um, And I hope to see that that will change and that all of these products will be uh, more transparent than uh, what we've seen in the past so many years. Yeah, it's uh, it's a very emerging space. There's so much opportunity. And, um, you know, a few that I saw, actually, I think I found this through Yoni's Instagram feed, you know, Pantone partnered with uh, um, a Swedish brand called Intimina, right? And they created this campaign called Seen and Heard. And I looked a little bit into that. And I think some funds uh, were uh, allocated to an advocacy group called Action Aid in the UK. And it, it, I just love to read what the director of policy said because it just shows you the power of bringing a brand together and uh, awareness campaign together to, to create that hype that you kind of need sometimes to get people to pay attention, to be curious. And um, this woman, she said, you know, this is a fantastic campaign, a badly needed one around the world today. Millions of women and girls still suffer due to the stigma associated with periods like we were talking about before. Many girls miss vital days of school or even drop out altogether, which is one reason so many women experience lifelong poverty globally. So making that connection between this like very crucial monthly moment and the rest of her life. So without the stigma around periods, more women could escape poverty, fulfill their potential, and strengthen their communities, be an asset, right? So this important campaign will help change that. So I was like, whoa, like that's powerful. That's one example. Another one I saw recently was um, Nike Women uh, doing a post about needing to understand the menstrual cycles so that when you're training, when you're engaging in fitness, when you're pushing your body, you actually understand what you're doing with your body at that moment in time of that month, which. Yeah. And and when your best days are, or when maybe it's a day to, you know, lay a little bit lower. Exactly. So, you know, kind of building on what you were saying, it's just, 
I mean, I, the conversation's happening. And it's on so many, and it's on so many different levels, which makes it interesting. I'm, I'm someone who's, whether it's a, a flaw of mine or an asset of mine, but I can be kind of easily bored by things. And this topic has kept my attention because it has so many levels and so many different yeah, aspects that you can speak to and that you can be busy with, um, that it makes it really interesting. And on that, as we envision for this upcoming 2021, what topic or what aspect of Yoni are you excited about? Is your team investing its most creative thinking and and, and energy into? What's next for Yoni? Well, we are going to be coming out with period-proof underwear, and that's something that I have wanted to do for years. But as a business, you also have to be a little bit practical uh, and <laughs> finances need to be there. And so I'm really looking forward to that because that's bringing, you know, a product that I really believe in. Um, it has a sustainability aspect to it. It has a new way, I believe, of looking and dealing with uh, your menstruation. And so I'm really excited about that. That's the thing that I'm most excited about. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, just to round out our conversation, I always like to ask our guest if you can leave us um, a message or a question that we can reflect on beyond this conversation to continue the the curiosity and the pursuit of all things menstruation, awareness, period power, just the social justice that's really baked into this conversation. Anything that comes to mind that you can leave us with today? Well, the one thing that I speak, I've spoken to this for a couple of years now, and I continue to find it important to share is really in business that I see what has been done in the past is we've really compartmentalized our lives. So you have your social life with your family, your close friends, you have your spiritual life, whether that's maybe you going to church or you having some sort of you know, uh, um, relationship with things uh, greater than just you, um, the environment, people further away from you, different than you, or if you want to see that in a much more, in a, a different way, I, I feel some sort of connection energetically to greater consciousness, but for some people that's just way too far off. And then we have, we have like this compartment which is our professional lives. And at this moment in time, I believe we're often at our kind of strongest within our professional lives. And I believe it's of great importance that we start incorporating. And so we start meshing our social and our spiritual lives within our professional lives. And that you then will necessarily start to take the steps to use business as a force for good. And I believe that we're in a time where there's really no time to waste um, and where we need to put in the forefront all of the societal and environmental problems that we see around us and make sure that whatever we're doing in our lives is speaking to a solution um, towards those things, however great or small. And the exciting thing about this, I think, is that anyone and everyone can already take steps today to do this. Um, so we can already be nicer to the cashier at the supermarket. We can already think of someone in a way that 
is a little bit beyond ourselves. We can already, we can already take little steps. We can already reflect on how we show up wherever we need to be. Um, and we can take responsibility of that. And so for me, all change starts within ourselves. And that's where we need to start looking for the answers is within ourselves and taking a good deep look at, you know, those maybe darker, less pretty places within ourselves. And from there, I'm sure that a lot of positive things um, will, will come about. It just speaks to that integration of our whole selves to be that whole human in the world. And there is no separation. <laughs> it all just exists in the mind. No, there is no separation. There is no separation. And that's why, uh, I mean, a lot of the things that are going on in the world now um, break my heart because there is no separation. We're all connected and interconnected. And, and, and the interesting thing, I think, is that everything within ourselves in some way or another is going to be expressed outside of ourselves. And so we can all start at taking responsibility for ourselves. And that's something that everybody can do. There are no excuses here. And once you find yourself making excuses, which is always really interesting, like I um, once at work said, um, um, I was reading this great book and I said, okay, I've noticed that I sometimes say I don't have enough time or I'm really busy. And I said, I'm putting myself on a diet. Um, I'm not allowed to complain about time anymore. Because complaining about time, like not having time, is the same as me saying it's your fault, not mine. <laughs> it's the same thing. Time is a given, and it's me that sets the priority of how I use my time. And so we tried that for a while uh, together, and I still try that. Um, and being mindful about how I place my priorities throughout my day and 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 whoever I'm with. And... So we can all take responsibility of ourselves and what's going on within ourselves. And that will necessarily also have an effect on what goes on out, outside of ourselves. It takes work. It's not easy. It's not easy and it's not comfortable. And that's why a lot of us don't do it, myself included. Uh, it's a difficult thing to hold yourself to. But it is an empowering one as well. And it's really exciting. Like I always try to see things in a, a positive light. So I find it exciting and interesting and I think one of the reasons why we're all here is to um, take a good look at ourselves and what's going on in ourselves and how can we make that work for the greater good around us. I just got a flash of the fact that you're also a yoga teacher, as am I, and it's like taking yoga off the mat and really embodying what you already know is true and possible within yourself and just like walking that walk every day and showing up in your practice as much off the mat as you do on the mat when you already know it's all coming through. I always, I always say, I say like, even me as a yoga teacher, I spend way more time off of my mat than on my mat. And so I only use the time on my mat to become better at what I'm doing off of my mat. Otherwise, if you're not doing that, don't do yoga. You don't have to do any of it. Then it's pointless. I mean, then it's just moving your body or whatever. Like the whole idea about yoga to me is reflecting and is understanding and is getting to know yourself better and and to be able to take that into your into your life and 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 into your interactions with others and uh and to make something yeah make something make something great do do something great whether that is small big or small it doesn't have to be this enormous thing i think then that like puts way too much pressure on all of us 
right? Start with the small things and like the, the bigger things may come, but may or may it doesn't not matter, matter right? What you're, what you're here for. I think it's just good to check in. Like, I mean, I think that's also an interesting question. Like, what are you here for? What is your purpose here in life? And I believe the purpose of your life always is in is always in the service of others the greater good and to and to take a look at at that from that aspect if you haven't yet and it's because it's and 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 it's funny because it's about you and it's about everybody else and we're all one so it has that has to you have to take care of yourself and what's going on within yourself and that will that will translate outwards translate that's it no separation. We come back to that truth once again. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. I um I really appreciate just how you're showing up and how Yoni is demonstrating and embodying what is possible when business is really used for a greater purpose. Uh, a greater purpose that extends beyond just self and into community and looking out for the planet, which is constantly giving back to us if we keep in this uh, harmonious dance with the planet. And um, just, uh, yeah, to close, you know, uh, for anyone who wants to get connected to Yoni, wants to learn more about what you guys are doing and and how to get products, can you just leave us with a, a little call to action of how we can connect to you and 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 Yoni? Yeah, for sure. So for Yoni, um, check us out at www.yoni. So that's Y-O-N-I dot care. Um, so taking care of yourself. So yoni.care. That's where you can find our website. Um, I would also definitely check us out on Instagram. I believe that's one of the most beautiful uh, expressions of Yoni. Um, so that's Yoni. I think it's Yoni Care and not Yoni.care, but Yoni Care at Yoni.care at Yoni Care. So check us out there. We're also on other social media, but I, yeah, I love our uh, visual translation. Uh, for me, communications is also something very visual. And so I like Instagram for that. If you want to connect with me, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. My last name is quite unique. So Mariah, like Mariah Carey. Mariah Mansvelt with a V and a T Beck. Um, and I think there's only one Mariah Mansvelt Beck on LinkedIn. So that's pretty easy. Um, or you can find me on Instagram at manifesting Mariah. Um, and I sometimes share something that I feel strongly about. And sometimes I share just cute pictures of my cats and my dog. Oh, what a pleasure, Mariah. It's been, yeah, just so nourishing to see yeah, your journey. And thank you for being vulnerable and just sharing authentically and super excited to follow the journey of Yoni. You're welcome. And thank you for having me. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. The Alt Normal. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow. If you enjoyed this conversation, please show us the love. You can subscribe, share, or leave a review. We'd be so grateful to help us amplify these stories far and wide. Thanks so much.